Space Room. Welcome to the ladies room. I am one half of your host, Julie DeCaro. And I'm Jane McManus. So happy to have everybody joining us. We hope you'll be enjoying this. We are certainly excited to be doing this podcast. And this week we have a very special guest. Yeah, I don't know uh, if you guys have heard uh, of her, but you have, if you watch The Last Dance or if you watch uh, NFL Network or let's see, watch Real Sports or have uh, watched ESPN anytime in like the last 25 years. <laughs> it's Andrea Kramer, if you Woo! haven't already guessed. She's amazing. Not only is she amazing at what she does and her job, but she also is an incredible mentor for a lot of women in this business. She really is. And it's been a big couple of weeks for women in sports. Like, obviously, we hear about Kim Ng getting being the first women's GM in Major League Baseball, like 20 years too late, but we're glad she's finally there. Sarah Fuller uh, kicking for Vanderbilt. The WNBA women continue to impact all kinds of areas of life, but there's now been research showing that their campaign against Kelly Loeffler actually made a difference in Georgia in the Senate race. So a lot of things to celebrate about women in sports right now, and I'm really excited to talk to Andrea. So stay tuned because we talk about all of it in our upcoming segment with the rest of this pod. We'll get there next. You're listening to The Ladies Room. We are thrilled to welcome into The Ladies Room the fantastic Andrea Kramer. You know her from Real Sports, from NFL Network, from being on ESPN for a long time from just about every covering every sport that I can think of. How's it going, Andrea? It's going great, women. How are you doing? Yeah, we're doing great. I have to say, you know, when I've always thought about like what kind of a path I'd want to chart in this business, looking at you and seeing what you've been able to do, real you do the serious stuff. Um, you're also, you know, the ins and outs of the game. It seems like you've really been able to carve for yourself really in an area where women weren't able to carve for themselves a really solid niche. You've been able to do that. And I just, I think it's, it's pretty amazing. You've been a role model, certainly for me, and I'm sure for hundreds of other young women who've come in your wake. Well, I, I appreciate that. that. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. It's, it's interesting because when you're at ESPN, where I was for 17 years, you only work for ESPN. I mean, you, you can barely do a radio show for somebody else. And then as soon as I left ESPN um, and left on great terms because I, I got a pretty great job with NBC, all of a sudden I get I start working for NBC and then Real Sports hires me right away. And now all of a sudden I'm working for multiple entities. And then when I left NBC, I was still working for Real Sports and then I added CBS and, and added NFL Network. And you're, you're exactly right, Jane. It sort of fits different niches for myself. That's why. So here I am doing, you know, the, the, the quote unquote hard nosed journalism at, at real sports and the long form journalism that's really sort of informed my career. And then NFL Network is just sort of like, you know, kind of like fun. And then the CBS all women's sports show, uh, we need to talk is, is just gravy. And then of course, out of nowhere comes Amazon Thursday night football. And the one thing I've never done, which is to call games from a broadcast booth and not freezing my tush off on the sidelines. You know, that was just a whole nother thing. And, and I'll tell you, women, it's not for the faint of heart to, to be in the business for 30 some years and then totally get out of your comfort zone by, by calling a game. You guys are so good though. And I want to get to that later, but I wanted to ask you, as long as we're on this topic, Jane and I were talking about this the other day and I, um, wrote about it and like, nobody read it. But this idea that like well, when, positive. when you see a woman like like Kim Ng get hired by the Marlins as a GM and you see her get to the top of the mountain or you see Doris Burke get to the top of the mountain or you or some of these people that have been in the industry forever, it, it feels like everyone comes rushing to them to congratulate them and talk about how much they deserved it. But one of the things Jane and I were talking about is how there is sort of this long slog for women in the industry where, you know, there's been studies showing that men don't retweet their female counterparts as much as they retweet other guys. There's, you know, the online harassment. There's the struggle to be taken seriously. And, and we're just sort of discussing the fact that women, it's great to hold up the women that have sort of made it. 
But there are so many women struggling in the trenches right now who really aren't getting the support they need. The support from male colleagues? Yeah, I think so. I think I think mostly from male colleagues. And and also structural support, I think, from some of the leagues. I, I mean, you do have women working their way up the ranks now. But it's certainly been something where women have been. And I think about the NFL, which, you know, obviously you and I know pretty well, and where, you know, women have been kind of stalled out at certain levels of their career and not made the next step at, at times when you thought they might. And I, I have to tell you, it's interesting because as Julie was starting to, to form her question, I thought you were going in a totally different direction because you mentioned Kim Ang, who's, I believe, what, 51, and Doris who's in her 50s, and me, who's in that age range. And what I thought you were going to say is that we're getting these opportunities at a sort of much later point in our career, as opposed to getting it when you're, you know, in your 30s and you you could sit there and say, hey, I've got, you know, maybe 20 or 30 years. I mean, look at someone like Al Michaels, who's 75 years old, or, you know what I mean? You never think of a woman who's going to be in a position, especially on television at the age of 75, you know, God bless Leslie Stahl or, or Barbara Walters, who, you know, had 17 comebacks. But that's that's actually where I thought you were going. The idea that, you know, women wait a really long time to get some of these incredible opportunities. So then to pivot back, uh, listen, I've maintained the same thing all along, which is people particularly as Jane points out in the National Football League, they like to hire people that look like them, sound like them, think like them, hang out like them, et cetera. And that would be a lot of white males. And all of a sudden you have women that are starting to break into some of these ranks. And until you get more women who are in positions to hire, but you know what? I have to add a caveat to that because it's not just women who are hiring. It's women who feel confident enough to hire other really qualified women. And there's a difference there, a big difference in my opinion, because I have seen enough women who, you know, they they fall into all the stereotypes. They get threatened by other women and then they do not want to promote them. And then um, I'll give you one one example that I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of. Um, and that is Molly Solomon, who is at NBC now and the highest ranking woman there. And she elevated my my dear friend and my former producer on Amazon Thursday Night Football, Betsy Riley, who is going to be producing track and field at the Olympics. And that's a big deal. And I can honestly say that, and Betsy is more qualified, as qualified as any male to do this. But I truly believe that if it hadn't been Molly doing the hiring, that she wasn't going to get hired by a guy, no matter how qualified she was. So it, it's definitely... A, a, a very dicey situation. Uh, my my biggest thing is I want women to get promoted. I want women to get hired if they deserve it. I just don't think that they should be put in positions just because they happen to be a female, because that oftentimes can be a recipe for disaster. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you because I did cover I did cover a uh, regional combine once where one of the kicking candidates was a woman who did a terrible job and she'd gotten a lot of hype because she was a woman and she went out there and just muffed it. And, and it ended up, you know, that the story was basically woman can't kick where, you know, we, we all know Katie Nida and what she's been able to do, what she did when she was at Colorado um, and New Mexico and was able to score the first, first points, you know, that a woman has ever scored in an NCAA division one game. But, you know, so I, I agree with you there, right? There's training, there's experience, there are women who prepared for those jobs. And oftentimes those women don't get it. And I also agree with you that it sometimes feels like, uh, and I think these things are cyclical, right? Like these are, these are when you, when you just have a few women in a system, there can be only one. It's like a fight to the death. Um, but then when you do get more and you get critical mass, then I do think it becomes uh, a situation that's, that's where women want to help each other rise. And, um, and it's the atmosphere that is sustained by a culture. And it's the system that allows for development of those um, young and talented women. And, and it's a trickier dance because you have to fit into the prevailing culture. But if the prevailing culture is one where boys go out after work and get beers together, then that's a hard way to try to fit in. So um, I just think there are a lot of different things that kind of affect something. So when we see Kimming, who has 
all of the criteria that you need to finally get 10 years later after, you know, she's probably qualified for it to get that shot. It's gratifying, but it's also a reminder, I think, that these structures are in place that keep her from being able to succeed at a time when other people would. Yeah, right, and, absolutely. and then let, and let, let's also not kid ourselves. She's going to be judged on a different standard. And I, I am sure she knows that. And I'm sure she's prepared for it because we all know we've all been in that position where you know that because you're a woman in a male dominated profession, you are going to be judged differently. And I always say the same thing. Don't complain about it. Don't bitch about it. Just understand that's the way it is and approach your job with blinders on as best as possible. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking back as you were talking about aging in the industry and and thinking about, you know, Laura Oakman, I think, has spoken pretty obviously about or pretty um, bluntly about aging on camera. And I remember watching your Real Sports interview with Doris Burke, which was brilliant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it is funny that it does. It seems like and I know for so many women I interviewed for my book said you have to prove that you can do everything before you get a shot at doing like one thing. Um, which I think, at least in radio, for me was true. Like, you know, I saw guys just waltz right into having their own shows, whereas women have to start as producers and be update anchors and do a whole bunch of other things in between. And I was I was just thinking about, you know, that it is sort of later on that women seem to be getting these opportunities. And, and I've caught myself even recently just looking at other women doing the same thing I'm doing and being like, oh, God, she's so young and she's already at this point and she's already she's got 30 more years of doing this. And when I was that age, I was only, you know, I was only doing this. And I just wonder, and I, I feel so grateful that there are women out there who are pushing the barriers of how long women are allowed to be in the industry. But, you know, I, I I worry about it as well. And I hate that I worry about it because I don't want it to be like I am um, in competition with younger women because I know that's not the case. But I wonder if men also do this thing where they look at the men coming behind them and are like, oh, he's so much younger and so much more accomplished at a younger age than I am, or if it's just women. Well, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, you know, I just mentioned now Michaels and, and Mike Tirico. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's definitely a unique situation when you are the GOAT, and I believe that Al is. I think he's the greatest play-by-play man of any generation. And they've hired your successor, and he's been in place, and they've got him doing a lot. And even someone as accomplished as Al, you know, you it's human nature. You, you kind of feel it a little bit, I think. And um, But I... You have to be in a position when you're older and you see younger people coming along that as much as you may be threatened by people, you have, in my opinion, you have to feel confident enough to still support them. So I'll give you an, an example from my career. And, and to her credit, she is constantly referencing this situation and really lauding me for the way I handled it. But this is the only way that I know of. So the Super Bowl that I did for NBC. I was obviously I was the sideline reporter for for Sunday Night Football at its inception, and they typically have two sideline reporters. So they brought in Alex Flanagan, young a woman who uh, uh, she's now out of the business, but she's building a career as a as an agent. But at that time, she was doing sidelines for Notre Dame football. Now Alex is in, incredibly beautiful. I mean, you could, I could never hold a candle to her uh, in, in terms of her looks and all this sort of stuff. And technically, she actually had much more experience than I did as a sideline reporter because she had been doing Notre Dame and she did college at ESPN. So she came in and I 100% could have been and should have been threatened by her. She's much younger and 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 she had a lot ahead of her. But all I could think of is she's working with a new crew uh, with Al Michaels and John Madden and the whole production crew that it's not for the faint of heart, you know what I mean? And I wanted to make sure that she knew everything possible, ranging from what you need to wear, uh, what you need to, how do you need to comport yourself at meetings and, and what it's all going to be like. And when we got down to Tampa, I took her to dinner and because I put myself in her position, what would it be like for me if it was reversed? And I sure as hell didn't want some bitchy woman who was in place already ignoring me and all that. And I, as I said, Alex to this day credits it. But to me, that's the way you have to be. As threatened as you may feel, you have to support someone. And, you know, it's it, she didn't lobby for that position. She was put in that position. So I feel that I wanted to do all that I could to help her be the best that she could be. And you know what? If I was the best I could be, 
then that was going to be good enough for, for me. I, I really understand where you're coming from with that because I've always said, and I mean it, that I never begrudge a woman for an opportunity that she gets. It is how you take advantage of it. It is how, what you end up doing with that. And I would never blame anyone who gets a job in any way. You just have to go and prove yourself and do what you can with it. And I've seen a ton of women in this business, you know, get jobs as young and inexperienced and, you know, with backgrounds that aren't necessarily sports, but then go ahead and crush it, you know? And I really do give them a ton of credit for being able to do that and think, you know, and that's, that's part of success too, I think, is being able to get those jobs and, um, and then prove yourself is it goes a long way for me. But so one of the things that I think that you've been able to do is you've been able to find, you know, like the real sports position and things like that, and also go for those kinds of prestige jobs. And as I mentioned before, you know, there weren't a lot of people who were saying, here's your path when you get to be, you know, in your forties and your fifties and your sixties, and you're a woman and you're on TV, there are not a lot, you know, of, of lampposts that say this way older women with experience in this in a visual television-based business. Um, but we are starting to see women now being able to get into those jobs. And, um, and I just want to know if you think that is, is that a sign of progress? Is that the, is that, are, are these, are, are we anomalies when we can stick around this long? Are we going to see more women do that? Or are we going to see a de-emphasis on women in those kinds of sideline roles and see that expanded? Well, I, I, let's just put it this way. I, I mean, you haven't had very many female sports journalists that have aged in the business because we just haven't been around very long. I mean, the doyen, as I call her, is Leslie Visser. You know, she has, uh, you know, continues to have a presence, certainly. But uh, I've always maintained this, Jane, and I, and I tell this to young women. I tell this to older women. If you're hired for your looks you're doomed to lose them. If you're hired for your knowledge, hopefully that's only going to grow, which will enhance your reputation, which is all we all have at the end of the day. And that's what's most important. You know, listen, if, if, if you get hired for your looks, that's great. But uh, I'll never forget, this is years and years ago. And I had a really close guy friend who was the biggest sports fan I'd ever met. I mean, he was insane. He and his he and his brother were insane, knowledgeable sports fans. I used to call them sort of my my personal focus group. And there was a woman who came on to local television in Los Angeles, where I was living at the time, and she was hot. I mean, she was gorgeous. And I said to him, "What do you think of so and so?" And he says to me, "Look, she's really attractive." But after two minutes, I realized she has no idea what she's talking about. And I don't even want to listen to her. And I, and I said to myself, oh my God, yes, yes. Some people get it. And I really do feel that way. Listen, I, I, I tell, I tell young women, especially young, really attractive women, you have a harder path. You have a harder path because people are always going to look at you and think you were just hired for your looks. And you have to work even harder, in my opinion. Now, whether or not they choose to do that or if they choose to rely solely on their looks, I don't begrudge anybody that. I mean, we are an intelligent business, so I, I, I get it. But I feel lucky that on a show, you keep mentioning real sports, on a show like Real Sports, you've got Soledad O'Brien and Mary Carrillo and me. And I'm pretty happy to be in that company. And you know what? We're all around the same age. We're all, I think telegenic, but I'm not going to sit there and say any of us is, is, you know, a beauty queen or a babe. I, I think that, I think that people are watching because they want to hear what we have to say and they want to pay attention to the stories we have to tell, not because they're looking at us as eye candy. I don't know if people know this or not, but I just, I have to jump in here because Andrea is very beautiful. When you see her in real life, she is incredibly knowledgeable. She's very good at her job, but she also has a sort of glow about her. She used to be a ballerina. Like you can tell she used to be a ballerina. Like, so like, you know, you're not a dog, Andrea. Let's, let's just be clear. Well, I appreciate that. Julie. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice, it's nice to speak well of the elderly, you know, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, speaking, I was excited to hear about your ballet background and, and I kind of, you know, and then I was also kind of connecting it to, you know, when you call a game and just how in some ways limited we are, if, 
if I were, and certainly when you call a game, because I bet you would have some fantastic ballet analogies <laughs> when you see a play unfold. But, uh, you know, you have to kind of hold back on exactly how much of yourself you're going to give or what kind of analogies you're going to make if you want to be taken seriously. Well, you know, it's, it's very interesting that you mention that because I will tell you how it comes into play in a totally, totally different way. And that is this. So you've got Hannah, Storm, and me, who both have 30 plus years of experience in the business, albeit with different but complementary skill sets. And neither of us has ever called games before. And uh, I, I say this parenthetically, we're, we are no different than the rookie head coach who gets through his first season. And then you say, how was it? And he's like, it's a blur. I don't even know how I got through it. I didn't even know what I didn't know. That's how we felt after our first season. And then last season, you know, you really build on that. And then this year, our third year, oh my God, I cannot tell you how different it feels. Just uh, the comfort level and the ability to really, uh, to really let, I think, more of our personalities come through. But for all the skills that you have to learn, the one thing that neither of us had any experience in is what our producer called booth choreography and what that means is you really you almost want to meld together as one voice you don't want it to be hannah talks then andrea talks hannah talks then Ed. because first of all it becomes almost uh, it, it, it's it's so rhythmic it, it's it's kind of annoying you don't want that on the other hand, you don't want to talk over each other. You have to understand that there's certain, you you need to get, she needs to get out so I can get in. Then I need to get out so she can get in. And it's literally like a dance. And when you're just learning this whole skill set about, she's learning more about play by play. And, and I'm learning that, yeah, I may have the knowledge, but I have to really, I have to get it in, in a 15 second replay, whatever it is. You're, you're focused on that. You're not focused on the way that you two dance together, so to speak. And literally, I don't know if I'm explaining it well or not, but when you feel in sync, I swear, you know what it's, it's the greatest analogy I can give? It's just like an offense that's in sync and in rhythm, and you're in a 12th play, 12 play, 97 yard drive, and you really, really feel. And that's, that's what it's like in the booth. And we, we both had to learn that. And, when when you hit that real sweet spot of booth choreography, it's pretty cool. And then I think we achieve what we want more than anything, which is we want viewers and listeners to feel, I'm just hanging out with Hannah and Andrea, and they're informing me, they are entertaining me, and and above all, they are, um, you know, they're, they're telling me something that I didn't know. That's terrific. And I think, you know, Jane and I both hosted radio shows with other people. And so I think we have some idea of, of what you're talking about, although not in a, not in a booth situation. Um, it was so interesting to me that you guys both brought up the idea of us all having to chart our own path because there isn't really anyone to look to, which is something I was just talking about with students the other day that, you know, there's there's nobody for me to look at and be like, oh, well, she was a lawyer first and then she got into sports writing and then she, you know, wrote about this and that. And then, you know, like there's just there isn't anyone. So to some extent, like we all have to be the first person of who we are. And and I do a lot of talking about that on, on college campuses with students. Well, not not so much anymore, but <laughs> I do a lot of Zoom talking. But but just saying, you know, like there's really no one for us to look to and say, like, that's the per that's the person, that's the career I want to have. Because so many of us, if, if you are a guy, there's like, you know, 17,000 guys you can look at. I can be like, oh, I want to be Wright Thompson. I want to be. But there really isn't that those all those different kinds of careers for women in sports. And and one of the things that I am um, when I go and I speak to girls who are studying sports journalism, I hear so many of them say, like, I want to be a sideline reporter. And it is crazy to me that that is the consider the like intro job to me that is such a tough job to get information to be able to assimilate it to put together interesting facts be able to spit it out in 90 seconds whenever they come to you is it, it to me that is just crazy that that is where women start out in this industry well it, it's it, it's interesting because obviously i was hired as a sideline reporter i'd never aspired to do it it's not something i ever I didn't even really know how to do it. 
Uh, I certainly watched enough people doing it that I thought, you know, they're, they're the people who do it well, really do it well. And, but this is the opportunity that I was given, but it was, it was never something that I felt, wow, this is where I'm going to make my career. It just, it just wasn't for me. Not only had I come from long form journalism, but I felt like th- th- this is, this is the first thing that you learn. If you're on a crew with Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth or Al Michaels and John Madden, why do you ever want to leave them? What, 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 why, what, seriously, why do you want to leave them to go down to the field? Well, you better have something really, truly compelling if you're going to do that. And so you have to understand your role in the broadcast. And for me, there were a number of times where I provided information from the field to Alan Chris. And I swear, in some cases, it was a Bears game. In fact, one one in particular that comes to mind where I gave Chris some information and he just got it on the air so seamlessly. And he was so thankful to me. And I think I got more, I think I got more satisfaction of, out of that than if I had just delivered, delivered a report. But um, I want to change the subject for one quick second or, or, t- or, or pivot for a second. I want to share something with you guys. I'm not sure if, if either of you know. So um, in... 1989, NBC used a woman named Gail Searns, who was a newscaster down in Tampa. They wanted to do something different. They, they, she had no sports background. She had the voice of God. She had the most mellifluous pipes you've ever heard. And they put her on to do play by play on football. And, um, she did fine. She did fine. Um, but then they wanted, she, she didn't, she wasn't interested in doing, she didn't want to move. She didn't want to leave news and, and all that. So around the same time, I, who am, was now at that point, a producer at NFL films, I started working with a man named Marty Glickman, who I see Jane shaking her head, the, the venerable one. He was actually a former Olympic runner who became a broadcast coach. So I started working with Marty and he was teaching me play by play and he was amazing. And I did a demo game with Dave Jennings, uh, then with the jets. And until I actually did a demo game, I never thought I could do it, but I did. And it was, it was pretty invigorating. And I got an offer from NBC to do six games and it was going to be like the Q team. You know, but that's what I deserved at that point. I mean, you know, I no, no. I mean, it was it was low, and that's where it should be for somebody who's starting out, who's a novice. So they offered me six games, and it's 1989, and I made a huge decision, which was I felt that with the climate at that time, that it was never going to be accepted, that. I would, my, my network career would be over basically before it began and I turned it down and I felt so bad because Marty had invested all this time in me. Well, as it turns out, the man who was hiring me, Michael Weissman got fired hmm. and was replaced. And his replacement is a man who I listen, I, I can honestly say was pretty much a misogynist. And he would have buried me. Hmm. I got a call from Marty and he said, kid, because he called me and probably everybody else, kid. He said, kid, you made the right call. And I did. And then I took a job with this company called ESPN. And (laughs) I guess that turned out pretty well for me. But my point is that I am not someone who ever looks back on anything with regret. I feel like you learn from situations, but why waste your time and energy on regret? But you know what? You guys, I never thought I'd make it into a broadcast booth. Never. And it's one of those things that kind of always just, it was a bit more of a what if for me. And so the opportunity to get in and not just doing play by play, but doing analysis was so surreal. And the best advice I got, because I don't know if I, I, I don't want to curse or anything, but can I, can I curse for a second? Sure. <laughs> That's fine. I was so scared shitless before my first game. I cannot tell you. John Madden calls me the night before. And he said, why don't you tell me? What? I didn't know. Why am I just finding out? You know, how could I have helped you? And he goes, how are you feeling? And I go, John, I'm scared shitless. And he goes, listen, he said, don't 
feel like you have to cram for the exam. You've been preparing for this your whole life. And my anxiety level amped down from like 100 to maybe 60, but at least it was on a downward trajectory, which was good. But that's, you know, that was something that, again, I never, ever thought I'd be in the booth as the first full-time female NFL game analyst. I never, ever thought that I'd get there. And um, it's freaking fun, man. Never worked so hard in my life, but boy, is it fun. Well, I'll tell you something. I've got two teenage boys, and I always wonder when there's a woman on TV, you know, like, when do we get to the point where nobody notices anymore? And my kids put on Amazon to listen to Thursday Night Football, and when they hear Beth Moens or they hear you and Hannah or they hear someone else, they don't even blink. It, it already, for this generation... It's not a big deal for them to hear a woman in the booth. And, and that, to me, is so encouraging. Well, that's just all about good parenting. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly what it is. That's true. That's a big thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, we, we kind of joke that we're in 200 countries. And so we don't really know who's listening and certainly what their knowledge base is. And so we, we, I, I've always kind of joked, can you imagine somebody who might be listening in, like, Indonesia? And they hear two women calling American football, and they just think that's normal. They don't think that's anything, they don't think that's anything rare. So I think it's, uh, if you know what you're talking about, then I, I, I hope that people think that we're a good listen, but listen, we, we're an option. We are an option. I don't, I don't profess to, you know, we're, we're never going to be Joe and Troy. We can't be Joe and Troy. We don't want to be Joe and Troy. If that's, if, if we were going to be them, then go and listen to them. <laughs> but we want to be something different. We want to bring something different to the table. I love how you talk about the layering in your career and how one skill set that you tried to hone in on when you were younger didn't pan out, but then it comes back in and is useful later on. And I think that's, you know, that's the story of careers, right? That's why experience matters. But I also wonder now, when you look back on that footage of you that was in the last dance, <laughs> did you get an opportunity? What did you think when you look back on the earlier version of yourself and the questions that you ask and you know, in being in that situation um, with the Bulls, like what, what was that like? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. When Jordan retired, I remember I was at the NFC Championship game in, in Minnesota and ESPN was running 24 hours of Michael Jordan. And a coach came up to me on one of the teams and he said, everybody thinks it's a Michael Jordan retrospective. It's an Andrea Kramer hair retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> and believe me. So when I when I looked at some of those, some of that footage, I was sort of like, wow, look at those <laughs> shoulder pads, look at that hair, look at all that. That was that was uh, never forget where we came from. Yeah, it was kind of surreal, the whole last dance thing, because you do you're doing the interview and 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 Jason Hare, the director, had made it clear to me that myself and David Aldridge, he he wanted us to sort of try to provide the the narrative, if you will, you know what I mean? Around, because they, obviously there's, there's no voiceover. So that's what, that's what they were looking for the role for us to fulfill. And, but you have no idea if you're going to be in it at all. If you're going to make the cutting floor, you have no idea. And the director called me at the, or, or emailed me at the onset. And he said, um, you've got a pretty prominent role in this. I'm just giving you a heads up. And that's all I knew. I, I, I didn't know, I, I didn't know anything else, but the funniest thing is, uh, so fast forward to the end and we're going to the, going into, I think the final segment, the night on a Saturday, uh, on a, excuse me, on a Sunday morning, I get a text from the director and it's all it said was you made SNL. <laughs> I don't know if you saw it. But they did. I'll, I'll I'll send it to you guys. You will roar. So they SNL did a spoof on the Last Dance, and I'm portrayed in it. And David Aldridge is, is portrayed in it. And my son, who really could care less about sports, but is crazy about Saturday Night Live, he's like, "Mom, the Hall of Fame be damned! You're on you're in Saturday Night Live," and it was hilarious i'll send it to you. you you won't you won't believe it it's it's very very funny and it's really well done she nailed my voice she nailed my intonation i don't think she nailed my hair but that's okay but <laughs> when, when, when you see it you'll you'll really laugh and then and then just two weeks ago my son so it was chloe Feynman who portrayed yeah me. and two weeks ago my son 
texts me and he goes, mom, and you're in Chloe Feynman's, um, you're in her Wikipedia page because it's, it's the list of people she's portrayed. Like anybody's going to know who Andrea Kramer is, but you know, I'm now listed on her Wikipedia page. So it was, the whole thing was just surreal. And the number of people that saw it, because of course there's nothing else on. So this is what people are watching, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was definitely interesting because listen, I've always said, I, I have had the, um, the opportunity to cover the two greatest Michaels in all the sports, Michael Jordan and Michael Phelps. And, uh, this was, this was pretty, um, it was pretty interesting with Jordan. And, and if you can impress our kids, <laughs> then, then you yeah, especially okay. when you don't intend to, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Mom goals. My kid, my kids could not be less impressed <laughs> by anything. But listen, Andrea, it, I don't know if people know this about you, but every time I've asked you for a favor, you are always, no matter how busy you are, you always give your time, you always give advice, you respond to emails. I mean, you're just, you're such an incredible role model for so many of us. And on top of it, you're so ridiculously generous. We're really, really thrilled to be able to have you on the podcast and to be able to, you know, hopefully share your voice, maybe with some people that don't, that don't hear you regularly. Um, but you know that you've got two huge fans here in Jane and I, and we're just really thrilled that you were able to join us. Well, I, I appreciate that. I think on, on the macro level, it's really important to support content for people who are providing it now, especially in this, in this crazy time that we're at. But also, you know, listen, you are two women that I have profound respect for. And you, as, as I like to call it, it's a phrase I've always used, you quote unquote, you do it the right way. And that's really important to me to support you in that respect. But, you know, listen, I, I take the role of I, I, I'm not somebody who's going to just sort of offer advice out of nowhere. But if somebody comes to me and asks my opinion and if I think that I can help them, uh, I like to refer to myself as like the human six degrees of separation, because if I don't know somebody. I know somebody who does. And I think it's really important because guess what, women, men network all the time. And if women don't do it, we're going to be set back at a, at, a, at a disadvantage and I don't want that to happen. So I have great respect for you guys. I really, really appreciate your having me on. I wish you just a tremendous amount of luck and success with this. And, um, and hopefully I'll be able to join you again soon. We would love that. Andrea yes. Kramer, everybody. Thank you so much. Julie, I know you've known Andrea for a long time, but I never get tired of of listening to what she has to say. She's got so much insight uh, and she's been in this game for so long. Someone who's new to the game, however, Sarah Fuller from Vanderbilt, getting her first opportunity to kick for the team. I mean, as we know, this season, college football and every other has been completely uh, ravaged by the coronavirus. It's just made rosters uh, just, you know, have to everybody next man up, next man up, next man up until sometimes you don't even have any quarterbacks on your roster. But um, Sarah Fuller was somebody who got an opportunity to kick. Uh, and and I think, you know, it was pretty interesting. And certainly the conversation around her opportunity was interesting. Yeah, uh, it, it was. And, you know, I guess at this point, I should stop being surprised when I see a bunch of shitty men jump in and say, you know, I hope she gets her clock cleaned. And people saying it was a publicity stunt. And, and you know, Every, everything that I guess we've just come to expect at this point, but it still never ceases to amaze me that people will put that stuff down in writing. And I don't know if you watch the Steelers and Ravens play that weird Wednesday afternoon game. Yeah. But, um, you know, during the middle of that, so we're talking with Andrea, who's been, you know, doing sideline stuff for a million years. Michelle Tafoya obviously has been doing this for a really long time. She was on that game. Um, I think of like Laura Oakman who has turned elevated, you know, sideline reporting into an art. And then you have Chris Collinsworth, a guy who, not to say that he should know better, he does know better, saying something along the lines of, you know, oh, I'm really surprised when I come to Pittsburgh and all these women have all these really specific questions about football. It blows me away. Yeah, no shit, idiot. We've been watching (laughs) football for a million years. What do you think we do on Sundays? You know, my, my response to that was, boy, he's really playing into stereotypes of old white announcers, yes. not of women anymore. I mean, we're beyond that, I think, with women. But gosh, I mean, you'd think that, like, he'd want to appear more enlightened than that. It's 2020. I mean, if you if you said that in 1980, OK, fine. You know, be I guess you can pretend to be surprised. But please, like, 
you know, this just reminds me of how much of an NFL broadcast is reliant on old stereotypes and, you know, old saws that they pull out and the yep. fake laughter and the back and forth. And, you know, please, can we just update, you know, just by a decade or two, some of these <laughs> illusions? I mean, can we get just, to the 60s? It would be great. Know, exactly right. Like, okay, I get it. I get it. You guys are old school, whatever. But uh, yeah, I just thought it, it's, you know, it was like, it was like, why do we need fresh voices in a booth? Because sometimes Chris Collinsworth is going to come out with something like that. And I know that he's very good at what he does. But, you know, please, he and then he and then he came out and he said something about the coronavirus afterwards, like that. Well, I guess we know that players aren't contracting it on the field, which, you know, I don't think actually whether I don't know if we know that uh, Dr. Collinsworth, you know, that just seems like something that, you know, there's a lot that we don't know about this right now. And and being glib about it is certainly not smart. And I think you could certainly take the NFL to task for a lot of the ways that that they're handling this right now with, you know, six days delays on games. And that game was terrible, by the way. It was no fun yeah. to watch unless no. you like watching guys drop balls. But, you know, that's that's kind of what we're up to now. And, and I just thought the whole thing was kind of a mess. I did too. And apologies for my dogs barking in the background. We are in a <laughs> pandemic. I don't know if you heard and we're all doing this from home. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's sort of, it, it brings me around to this idea that I always, I just don't think that men understand this the same way that women do, especially in this industry. The concept of like taking up space. You know what I mean? Like, like when I see that Joe Buck is going to do like seven games in seven days or something, like, and these guys are like, Oh, look how hard he works. He got all this stuff for himself. That's great. And I feel like as women, it's like, do you really, do you have to do that much? Do you have to take up that much space? And that's how I sort of feel about like the football broadcast these days. And I don't know, just, you know, it's, it's like the stuff with Kim Ng too that I was trying to talk about with Andrea. It was, this idea that, you know, oh, once a woman gets to the top of the mountain, everyone gives her the congratulations and talks about how great she is. But in days like today or like a day like last, you know, whatever, however many days ago when Chris Collinsworth makes this stupid comment, like that's where you need the support. And that's when you need men to like shout these guys down or men to come out and give you a little pat on the back and say, hey, you know what? Hang in there. It's just, uh, uh, I don't even know. It, it just makes me so angsty to talk about it because it shouldn't be like this in 2020 in any industry. Well, the problem with that is that the forced collegiality of an NFL broadcast or of a professional sports broadcast generally is always going to override the impulse that one analyst might have to clamp down on what another one has said uh, when it's inappropriate. They will always, you know, smooth it over and, and move along. It is the it is the unwritten rule of having a job in the broadcast industry. And it's just like, you know, how. Uh, one broadcaster won't call out a, a league for the way they're handling the coronavirus in any sort of real way. It's it's why when you listen to these NFL broadcasts, you can have a, a game with a six day delay and they'll talk about what a great job the NFL's doing, everybody. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's all just part of this, the, the mindless banter. And I do agree, you know, I, I and I, and it was, this is part of what I was getting at with what Andrea Kramer said is that, you know, the idea of just being a woman and being in that space, it, it actually counteracts that kind of the atmosphere in some ways, because, you know, what if Andrea Kramer were to, to make a, a comparison between something she's seeing on the field and ballet or to call out the fact that perhaps the NFL isn't dealing with this like a, you know, group of, of sorcerers, you know, with all of the, the genius of, of Albert Einstein when it comes to epidemiology. I mean, that you just cannot have somebody who threatens to disrupt that collegiality, that forced collegiality. Yeah. And so... Yeah, but I'm with you. It's not even so much that I expect, like, God knows Mike Tarico's had his own issues with women. So, like, I certainly don't expect him to, like, come out and say anything. But, and, like, on Twitter, it would be great to see all the major, like, reporters be like, hey, that wasn't cool. You know, and we just never see that kind of stuff. It's, and, you know, I saw this a lot when I was working in radio that it's, they'll come to you privately and say, I can't believe that guy said that. That sucks. But nobody's going to say it in public. And yet, you know, these guys consider themselves to be really good allies. And it, time and time again, it just seems like whatever it comes to these issues, it's the women doing the calling out. And then, you know, we had one guy comment on when De my article at Deadspin about this went up. Oh, guys know your type. You're the kind who sits there and waits for a guy to do anything wrong so that he you can jump on him. And just that whole idea of like, we know your type. Because I knew exactly what he was talking about, right? It's like, you're not, you don't act the way that I want a woman to act which is like subservient and quiet and going along with the jokes and you call too many things out and, you know, you're a pain in the ass and, and guys don't like women like that. And it was just so, 
I don't know. Some days it's just so um, depressing, for lack of a better word. Well, and if if a if a woman made a mistake in a broadcast, as you know, as Andrea had said, you know, they they will get called out. You know, we will get called out. So this idea that that uh, but it's quite the it's quite the opposite. It's men are often, you know, things are smoothed over. It's just a one time mistake, and he's had a really great career, and then that'll be that. But yeah, I, I don't expect that's you know I don't expect things to change. Unfortunately, I mean. You know, with a lot of these things like Sarah Fuller and Kim Ang, you know, they don't they don't rise up in a vacuum, right? They rise up despite all of the systems that are in place to kind of the gatekeeping that happens in sports. And um, you know, it's all of a piece. And until that that changes from the root, I think what we do is, you know, you can call out when you see things that are really backwards, like being surprised that women know something about football. But that it is a slow wait and it is really hard to stay patient as, you know, I've been in this business 20 years since 1999 when the when the U.S. women won the World Cup thinking, okay, we are on the dawn of a new day when it Mm -hmm. comes to women in sports and waiting for that day to arrive has taken a long time. Yeah, it's the same thing like with Gail Sirens that Andrea was talking about. I mean, it was 1987 when she called an NFL game and then it was 30 years until Beth Moens did it. Right. And it's, just like the, the same amount of time with, well, not the exact same amount of time, but Katie Nida, you know, she mm-hmm. was, she was kicking um, a lo- in the nineties for Colorado and New Mexico. And I think that it's been, you know, we've, it's been a long wait for Sarah Fuller. So long, in fact, that a lot of people had forgotten about Katie Nida and that there was a past and that she wasn't the first woman to kick in a division one game. Certainly, I mean, the power five wasn't the power five back then, right? but certainly kicking at the highest level in D1. A woman has done that and it took an awful long time. And she had a terrible experience in Colorado. Uh, and then I think ended up having a really healing experience mm-hmm. with her team in New Mexico because the team embraced her as it did. And it just goes to show you that, that it's a lot about culture and how culture is created. And, you know, hopefully there are going to be more cultures that are created like New Mexico where women have opportunities, um, you know, like the Marlins where Kim Ang can be the general manager. And, you know, I'm just, I'm tired of having all of these be one-offs and waiting, uh, waiting for these women to get their opportunity, uh, and then just waiting and waiting and waiting for the next. Well, and yeah, and here's the other thing, the news that has sort of been trickling out is that, you know, Sarah Fuller addressed the team at Vanderbilt at halftime, dressed the guys down for saying they weren't playing with energy and they weren't playing with any urgency. The coaches said to her, thanks for saying that. I've been wanting to say that all year. And then the next day the coach is fired. So it's sort of the first thing I thought of is, did he get fired because he let a woman dress down the men? You know, we don't we don't know. Yeah. I mean, it is it is hard to know, but I'm glad that, you know, I'm glad she stood up and took her opportunity and filled a leadership role there. I mean, it says a lot about her, frankly, that she could be in that role day one and feel and feel like she had the authority to say that. And good for her. Yeah, because obviously she's speaking the truth. All right. I want to ask you about this and you have to be honest about how you feel about this. Okay. So <laughs> this is scary. So we're, it's that time of year when we're starting to see a lot of like 30 under thirties, you know, 20 or 40 women under 40 who are doing this. And I just wonder, and I, and congratulations. I know this Forbes 30 under 30 women in sports came out and a lot of the women who were on it, who were just ecstatic. And it was like tons of congratulations. But I also saw a lot of women closer to our ages, Jane, who were saying things like <laughs> 40 over 40 who are still hanging in there. God bless them, you know? <laughs> and while on the one hand, I'm so glad to see these young women coming along and getting opportunities when they're 22 years old. At the same time, there's a little bit of like, it's not jealousy. It's almost like a wistfulness of when we were that age, we were still banging on the door trying to get in. And so I'm, I'm glad that it's changing, but there's a little bit of like, ah, oh, shucks about it too. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I'll say is, you know, I really, I, I applaud these young women who come along and take these opportunities that are now available and I don't begrudge them a second for it. I, I, I kind of feel like I'm, you know, I'm moving into my experience. I feel, I feel really comfortable in my skin when it comes to the experience that I've had and the things that I've been able to do in this business. And yes, the opportunities may not have been the same when I was younger, but at the same time, I'm glad they're here now for other women. And I hope they're taking 
full advantage of that. And, you know, here's the other thing, Julie, is that the young women that we've helped in this business come along and that we've spoken to and that we've given advice to and that we've made introductions for, you know, that that only is good for us. And that is only good for the business. And it's only good for what our ultimate aim is, which is to see people who deserve it get opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. So, like said, I, so that's I, the way I look at it. Yeah. And I think that's a great way of looking at it. I guess for me, it's just a little bit of, God, if I had, if the opportunities had been there for me at 22, where could I be now? You know what I mean? And it's, like I said, it, it's not a jealousy of the girls that are there, the women that are there now. It's just sort of, gosh, like how many of us, because I remember going to like blogs with balls and looking around the room and just being just completely outnumbered by guys. And there were all these women there trying to break down trying to write for mainstream sites. And eventually, you know, a lot of us got there, but it took a lot of time. And so, yeah, there's just a little bit of like, what if kind of for me, I guess. Yeah. You know, but I've had that since I was a kid when I was really, when I was like in, in junior high, I made my seventh grade basketball team. And, you know, I was raised by a single mom and, you know, yada, 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 long story short, I wasn't able to get like the medical clearance because she didn't make an appointment on time and oh. life goes on. And I wonder, you know, I always wonder back because I, I ended up being a really, you know, great, good basketball player and playing a lot on the streets in New York and playing a lot of pickup and playing for my college team. And, and I, and I think back because I was like, I was just after Title IX, but really before things picked up for women, particularly in mm-hmm. the South. And I, and I think back, you know, what if I, what if I'd actually had parents where, you know, who valued women in sports a little bit more and who, what if, what if there'd been a WNBA for me to aspire to because mm. the WNBA didn't come around for a long time. But I just kind of feel like, you know what? I really enjoyed playing basketball and I've just got it. I took a lot from that opportunity too, you know, being able to have to kind of show up and say, I've got next with a group of guys and I probably wouldn't be in that, this business if I hadn't had to go through that. So, Very true. you know, you, you know, you have to look, I think, yes. Things, if we had been placed in a different environment, things might be different for us now. I am certainly glad that they are different for the women who came after us, though. Absolutely. All right. Well, on that note, I guess we will wrap up this episode of The Ladies' Room. Huge thank you to Andrea Kramer for joining us, the fantastic Andrea Kramer. By the way, did you like the enormous compliment I gave her by telling her she was not a dog? (laughs) (laughs) We'll, we'll, we'll try to, we'll have to see if we can at least uh, do something like that for all of our guests here. It's a, it's a real draw to be on our podcast. <laughs> the most backhanded compliment I could give you. You're no dog. <laughs> and seriously, it was so funny to hear her talking about like, you know, seeing younger women who are so beautiful because like she to me is looks just is like Tinkerbell. She's yes, exactly. She's just luminous and I love everything about her. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and the other thing is, you know, hopefully we, we get to a point where everybody just gets to be themselves and, uh, and we, and we can go without judgment. And I, that's my, great. that is my ultimate goal. I know exactly. That's what I really want <laughs> for the young women who come after us is that you get, you don't have to look like Tinkerbell to be on the 30 for 30. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. 30 well, under 30. This has been fun. I can't wait to do it again next week. Make sure that you subscribe to our podcasts, uh, wherever you get your podcast, the ladies room. You can also follow us on Twitter at Julie DeCaro and at James Sports. Hope you'll do that. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the ladies. Room.